great balls of fire, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Dying Alive podcast. This week, we're going to catch you up on the Penguins' moves. Jason Zucker is here, uh, and he's scoring goals. Go over some games you missed. Talk about uh, trades around the league. Uh, get you caught up on all things Penguins. It is Dying Alive. Two-man show today. Just uh, Jesse Marshall here from the Athletic of Pittsburgh, joined solely today by Patrick Damp of the Pensburg, uh, pensblog.com. I just combined all the URLs together. Patrick, we can handle this. Yeah, I think we can. I mean, we've done it before. We've done it in the past. It's uh, it before. You know, we're like the Penguins. You know, it doesn't matter if there's some some shakeup on the roster through injury or no, no, next man up. Next man up. Just gotta gotta dig in and get it done. Get to our game. No, no, not that. Not that. <laughs> not that. We don't want to. No, do we're that. not going to grind these pitches down. We don't know. We want to. We want to play the game the right exactly. way. Yes, we want to play. We okay. Just play. Um. So uh, let's get right to it because uh, Jason Zucker's a Penguin. Uh, left uh, Minnesota, uh, comes to Pittsburgh, uh, and uh, in a trade for Alex Gauthier, Caitlin Addison in a 2020 conditional uh, first. Um immediate impact uh said he was nervous for his first game uh i didn't think he looked bad despite that uh but then the goals started to come um you know this is one of those deals where at the time i think there was this initial reticence to part ways with kaylin addison which i found was interesting because you know um we don't have a whole lot of history to draw off of uh to really have like these strong emotional ties to such a player but um, I don't hear that anymore. It's like any, any reticence that was, you know, in the air at the time that trade was made has immediately been resolved by virtue of Jason Zucker scoring goals. Yeah. Uh, in, in the one thing I'll kind of add on to that, I've said it to you and Mike before is I, I know that he's kind of uh persona non grata right now in hockey circles, but if you remember when the Leafs first started their tear, tear everything down and rebuild, Mike Babcock said, there's going to be pain. Now stick with me on this. Okay. What I'm saying is I think a lot of people are under the impression that once we're out of the Crosby Malkin era, we can like keep the ship above water, at least mildly. Listen, guys, when Crosby, Malkin, Latang are gone, it's going to be a long, long few years to rebuild. So right now, you have to maximize everything you have. Like, I understand everybody wants to have their draft picks and have their prospects in the system. It does not matter. Period. End of story. If, if you can make this team better in the next two to three years <laughs> by parting with a prospect or a pick, do it. So let's say that, like, you know, your, your concern is that the cupboard's bare, right? And that there's not enough there. And you don't want to part ways with Kalen Addison because you're concerned about the organizational depth. What does holding on to Kalen Addison do? Gives you one defenseman. What are you going to do with that? Building off that, is that like your – that's your foundation for your whole house is a brick, one brick, and you're worried about it? Uh, if you have five bricks to build a house and you, you might as well just get rid of one – <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, because you don't have enough to build a house. So 
you know, to me, I, I liked Kalen Addison as a prospect, and I and I think he'll play in the National Hockey League. Uh, I don't think that will happen until 2023. Yeah, and, and also think about it this way. He's not going to make any sort of immediate impact, which was my initial point there. But also, look at the Penguins' defense going forward right now. Pretty much everybody on their back end in the NHL is signed long-term. Latang, The top four, especially, yeah, right? Latang, yeah. Dumoulin, Pedersen. Like, all those guys are signed for a few years, plus... A guy like Marino, yeah, young John Marino, a guy like Marino, who's a U, going to be an RFA. Like you still have a lot of control on your defense, so at the very least, he comes in as a bottom pairing guy on an entry level deal. Which woohoo! But that's still a good few years down the road, and by then, you want to hope you have a couple more banners hanging from the rafters at PPG. I don't want to make it sound like Yuso Rikola is some kind of like high end prospect based talent, um, but the. the and the, the results that he had, and even Chad Rudel, for that matter, have given you on the third pairing of NHL-level results. I would actually say they exceed the expectation of the performance of a third-pairing defense in the NHL. So you're not building a franchise or, or relying on on both those players in any kind of you know major way long-term, but they're giving you a, a performance now that you know even in the short-term proves you can find cheap, reliable talent outside of your organization and acquire it in smart ways with good scouting. So, you know, again, it's, it's, to me, it's negligible. You know, the pick, uh, Pat would have been late round, right? I mean, you're, you're probably banking on it being, you know, 25 plus big deal. Well, um, in, in the, I'm not worried about that. And then, and then the Gauchenyuk thing is just to me, addition by subtraction, you know? Right. And, and the, the other thing I was going to say there in regards to the draft is, you know, a lot of the people were saying we got to hold on to this first round pick because it's a deep draft coming up this year, which it is. But it's like when it comes to trading picks and holding on to picks, everybody get every Penguins fan gets amnesia. Like they've been really good at finding late round gems. Like like I was just gonna say our, that. Our, our our best goal scorer before he got hurt was Jake Gensel, and they drafted him in what the fifth. Well, you know, consider this, Pat. This week, uh, Jim Rutherford told Josh Yohe that he had two untouchables in the organization and that Nathan Legaree was one. Where did he get drafted? Was that the second or third I round? I say second or third. Yeah. <laughs> like, he fell immensely on draft day. The Kalen Addison, the guy that everybody was just up in arms over, fell on draft day. So, Philip Hollander, one of the better prospects in the system, fell on draft day. So, you know, again, I'm not – that's why it's not even worth mentioning the pick to me. I don't even care about that. Um, and and to, to move on to Jason Zucker himself, I already think that here, – here's a question that, that I th- – this is like an internal monologue I had with myself. What, what if like this partnership with Zucker continues to bear fruit? If – you know, w- when Gensel comes back, even if it isn't this year – do you put him? Do you put? Do you immediately? Are you like how? How much would you have to see from Crosby Zucker to be like, yeah, give J- Jake Gensel to Evgeny Malkin? Because we because we do have that like really large sample from this year where Gensel and Malkin like went off the chain together, right? So like that that's decent, but like the long standing history of Crosby and Gensel, you know, is there? Well, I guess my question is, are you married to Crosby Gensel, or you know, are you open to to? having a change up top. Well, like you said, we have a pretty significant sample of how Gensel was able to play with Evgeny Malkin. So if this Crosby Zucker 
pairing wor- continues to work out and continues to be productive, there's options there. You know, the Penguins have fallen into that trap over the years where they think like, okay, so this guy can play up and down the lineup, but he can only play with one or two centers. And when you try to put him down in the lineup, it just doesn't work. Like, and then vice versa. Like, you, if you remember, you know, the idea of getting Phil Kessel in summer of 2015 was that he was going to play with Sid and he was going to be this force to be reckoned with with Sid, and it just never clicked. And all of a sudden, he works really well with Evgeny Malkin and then Nick Benino, and that was completely unexpected. So the other thing you got to remember here is until you actually try something, you don't know how it's going to work. Like, obviously, in the short term since acquiring Zucker, it's working out well with Sid, but for all we know, that could fall off a cliff in two weeks and he gets pushed down to play with Gino and all of a sudden they're a force to be reckoned with. And if you're lucky enough to get Gensel back before the year ends, you have that built-in partnership right there. Yeah, it's really early to your point. Like we're making super assessments about the future. Um, but I mean, I, I, you know, personally, just in the short sample that we've seen, I've Jason Zucker has been ad- as advertised for me, you know, and I, well, he he, pl- he plays the style that Sid loves to where he's right. he's straight line speed directly to scoring areas and the corners. So that 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 his style of play directly correlates with the way Sidney Crosby plays the game. You know, uh, the soft spot thing was huge for me when I was watching tape in Minnesota. I just kept going back to that. He really knows how to exploit those areas of the ice, and he doesn't piss around when he gets the puck either. Like in the, he does, you know, what I mean by that, Pat. We've all played with a guy. Maybe we were that guy. I don't know. That you had to just tee that that damn thing up perfectly. You couldn't just shoot it. You know, you had to stop it, settle it, position yourself, and then shoot it. Nothing was more annoying, whether it be like high school, beer league, roller deck. I don't care what kind of hockey you're playing. When you feed somebody just on a platter, and then they, they like it's like they're drinking a goddamn fucking like glass of tea with the pinky out. Zucker just puts it on the goal. It, he could be on one leg, off balance, leaning backwards. His hands could be choked up on the stick. It doesn't matter. He's not going to stop and tee it up. It's gone. Uh, and that, to me, is like the one element that is almost a requirement to play with Sidney Crosby. The first requirement is finding the space. The second requirement is no nonsense, get the puck off. And I think it's, you know, com- sprinkle in a little bit of get to the net. And it's like, wow, this could be like a really, this is a really good player for Sid. Well, and, and that's the thing. In the era of hockey that we're in, there, unless you are on a power play or find yourself in an advantageous situation where there's not a defender in your immediate area, goaltenders are so good now that you can't hold on to the puck. You can't take right, you, that reaction you, time. You can't, it, not even reaction time. They're so well-trained and so well-developed to the point where if you take that extra second or two to line your shot up and look for a perfect shot, that goalie's lined up to you. He, he's yeah, squared up. He's the got same. the angle taken down, and you're not going to beat him. You've lost your shooter's advantage at that point. Like, like, like to kind of go with what you're saying there, you know, I fell down a rabbit hole a couple days ago of, like, the Penguins' runs in 16-17 because I just wanted to, like— one, relive it because it's a lot of fun, <laughs> but also just I wanted to kind of see like what the team did in those runs that was so successful. And, if, and one of the most iconic goals of the, that run is Chris Kunitz's double overtime goal in the conference final to go to the finals, right? Yeah. 
it was not at all a perfect shot. No, that's a really good point. He, yeah. and, and if you remember, the big X factor against the Senators in that series was that Craig Anderson, save for one game, played out of his goddamn mind. Yeah, that was the game that like Ole Mata scored within the first couple seconds, and it all hell broke it, loose from there. Kunitz just um, winds up and puts one on net from the slot. <laughs> it's a fluttering you know one-timer. That? There was traffic in front. It was a quick shot. Anderson couldn't react to it. It goes in. Hey, Pat, it was the kind of shot you take when you're trying to make a line change. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've had the, an extended shift in the offensive zone, and you're, you're like, you know, you basically, it's your way of like, you're throwing that last punch at the end of the round if you're like an MMA fighter or a boxer, but there's not a whole lot behind it. But hey, if it connects, you never know what could happen, right? Yeah. Like it might, might just knock somebody out, and that's kind of exactly what but, happened. But that's so. a perfect distillation of kind of how scorers have to play save for a few in the NHL now is you have to shoot quick. You can't hold on to the puck in, in scoring areas. You have to shoot because goaltenders are so good now that taking that extra second puts you at a disadvantage as a shooter. There was a clip. Um, and I, I, I at some point I plan to break this down in some modality. I'm sitting on the clip. I just haven't done anything with it yet, but uh, spoiler. Well, I guess I'll just ruin it. Uh, <laughs> there was a clip from Zucker's first game with the penguins right so like you gotta remember like no practice time right like he took the pregame skate that was his extent of his knowledge of his line mates at that point uh and they put him on the power play um i don't remember what had happened but there was like a a a situation where i think uh malkin had had a long shift and didn't come out for the start and they put zucker out in the middle um anyway the point i'm trying to make pat crosby was on the near boards along the half wall right zucker's in the middle of the ice in the slot so he's like that immediate passing option to Crosby, that one-time option, right? Right in the middle. And the passing lane wasn't quite there. So Crosby would take it in the corner, sort of loop it around, right? And try to, you know, he's skating it around on the outside. And I was watching Jason Zucker and he's in the middle and he's got himself stick up, right? Ready for that puck, like in a one-time posture. And he's mirroring his body to the positioning of Sidney Crosby. Right. So as he's in the middle of the ice waiting for this puck, you know, the, the, the penalty kills focused on Sid because he's got it. Right. So that puts Zucker in the middle. He's kind of just in his own world and his body positioning is shifting. He's mirroring what Crosby's doing on the opposite side. And I was like, ah, damn it. That's so goddamn smart. Like, look at him. He's never played for this team. He's out there on the power play for the first time. And, and Crosby has to love that. He just has to because every time Sidney Crosby picks his head up, Right. No matter what position his body's in, no matter what position he's in when he's coming off the half wall, Jason Zucker is making sure that his alignment, you know, from a shooting perspective, and his stick is already up, but he's standing there half cocked, like the dude's ready to go. Like as that puck comes, it's gone, and and he, you can see him shifting his hips and taking steps, sort of pat, you know, to just adjust that trajectory of the shot. So when it comes there, he doesn't have to make the adjustment; it's already done. And to me, I was sold right there. Like when I saw that happen, I was like, I'm good. I don't need to show me no more. (laughs) Like if he's smart enough to be able to, to know where he is on the ice in relation to Sidney Crosby, and he's got the best player in the world, in my opinion, over there, all the dude was doing was just saying like, give it to, I'm ready. Like, you know, and I just thought like, that's, that's smarts. You know, that's, that's some of the same shit you get from Jake Gensel. Right. And and that's the biggest, that's the biggest requirement to me to play with Sidney Crosby is that 
you have to be able to think the game on a comparable level. Obviously, nobody, save for a couple players that aren't ever going to play with him, have that level of hockey sense to just get to an area where you need to be to basically mirror what Sid's doing, as you said. Yeah, and there was a, there was a couple other things I picked up on too, like just real quick, like the Tampa penalty kill. You know, if 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 they took him away and he knew he wasn't an option in the middle, he would he would do really nifty little shit. Like, so the the for example, he has a, a penalty killer on him. He knows he's not the passing option, right? The lane is cross ice, so it's from one board to the other. Crosby's looking for this pass that goes past Zucker. So when Crosby makes the pass, Zucker takes his stick, puts it underneath the penalty killer, and just pulls him over. You know, stick interference, the pass goes straight through, and the Penguins get a shot off. So to me, it was like, okay, Jason Zucker knows he's got a man on his hip. He knows he's not getting this puck. So he's going to run interference in a totally legal way and just tie up this penalty killer stick when this cross-ice pass comes over so he can't break it up. And I was like, okay, like this is smart. This is the kind of stuff when people – you know, we talk about analytics a lot, Pat, right? Like, this is a big deal, but this is the on-ace behavior that makes the analytics what they are, right? Like, here's a pass that becomes a shot because Jason Zucker did some shit away from the puck to tie up some guy's stick. And, no, you know, it's not the kind of stuff that goes on the front page, but, like, you know, if you're trying to evaluate whether or not somebody has the hockey smarts to play with, with these forwards, these are the questions that you I think you just have to answer. Right, and I've always said the the best way, and, you know, it's nothing I came up with, it's a pretty tried and true cliche is watch what don't always watch what guys do when they have the puck watch what they do away from the puck like that really to me can show the true value of a player is if they can get to an area that either puts them in a scoring position or keeps the possession of the puck for whoever has it or just makes it so the the team can have a scoring opportunity, which that the thing I was going to say with that example, because I saw that too, was that what that does, it buys the puck carrier more time because rather than the, the Tampa penalty kill pushing forward to where Sid is, he takes that guy and goes closer to the net, which has to collapse their penalty kill and gives Sid more room to operate, to look for another option. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, and like I said, so, to you, the biggest thing for Zucker for me, boy, does that man love scoring goals. The celebrations are always yeah, through the roof. Hard. Yeah, he gets down, he gets down low to the ice, and then does the old, the old like rise from the ashes, like a Phoenix type celebration. Um, which which yeah, the Penguins so, need more of. I mean, a lot of our we, we have a lot of talented goal scorers, but they they're just so used to scoring muted. goals. They just I think they're very yeah. Like Sidney Crosby just at this point in his career just skates to the bench. There was that clip of him though from the first Toronto game and the back to backs where he put the one and I think it was on the goal line goal where he was sitting on the bench watching his goal. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah, and he was just like, Yeah, it was dope. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, like it doesn't even like to him, it's just it, it was like kind of like you could tell he was kind of internalizing internalizing it like, holy shit, these guys are gonna be feeding me pucks for three more years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so in addition to that, um, today's a big day. Not, not, it's not because the, the Penguins play the Sabres, but, um, you know, just per the conversation that, that Josh had with, with JR last earlier this week, today's the day they get the medical update on John Marino and Brian Dumoulin. So Jim Rutherford's going to make a move. That's what he said. 
Um, he's either going to, I think one of two things is going to happen. He's going to get a positive report today on Marino and Dumoulin. You know, they're, they're coming, they're coming back on the ice sooner rather than later. If that's the message, I think Jim Rutherford goes out and gets a forward. If the message is that one of those two players or both may not be back into the playoffs, I think you might see JR go out and try to find a Mark Strite like defenseman um, just to supplement the roster towards the, the stretch. Uh, but the reason today is that a big day is because that update's coming. And I think we'll, we'll find out this afternoon, probably right around the time uh, the Penguins play the Sabres, uh, what the update is. But that, I think, is ultimately going to dictate what happens. And I'll be honest with you, Pat, once that update comes, I wouldn't be shocked if the, you know, I, I don't think Jim Rutherford, I could see Jim doing something tomorrow. Yeah, I could see it. I also, um, that's why it's so hard because, you know, we had a couple people when we get to correspondences basically ask, like, what's the next move? And what should they do? And the fact that it hinges on the medical reports of two guys who are out makes it a really hard, hard to answer that question. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, because if, like you said, if those guys come back, your defense is pretty, pretty well set and you're not really looking to add to it because you have depth built in already. And if the, if it looks, if the prognosis isn't great, then you have to start to build that depth again and you already have depth at forward, but it wouldn't hurt to get a little bit more. So if you have your depth built on D, you know, you got to build the forward core a little bit. But if it's a bad prognosis, you got to roll with what you got up front. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll ask you this. I, we haven't really talked like super extensively about it. Um, uh, you've like Pat has like a, you and Mike have like a weird sleep schedule right now. <laughs> yeah. Working, uh, ah! working 2 a.m. to 11 a.m. is quite the interesting shift. So it makes course corresponding as a, as a pod group difficult. Um, so I think we were on off schedules when I sent you this text. But thoughts on Connor Sherry coming back potentially to the Penguins was a name that Jim Rutherford specifically mentioned to Josh Yohe. Um I'm for it, Pat. I'm, a, I'm How about this? I'm not for it. I, if it happened, I'd be I'd be fine with it. I would prefer if he comes back as Connor Sherry. Yes. Oh, I, that would be a big one for me um, if you could get him back as Connor Sheary. But, I mean, it, either in all seriousness, like he's a player that knows the lineup up and down or knows the, well, the lineup, the, 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 you know, the whole organization up and down. We know he fits into the system. He's not like an eyesore out there, and he can play up and down the lineup. Um, I don't think Mike Sullivan is hell-bent on having that fourth line be some kind of like go grind it out, be tough line. I think he wants it to be another, you know, scoring line. So – you know, it's possible that you, you see him playing with like Patrick Hornquist down there. I mean, that, you know, um, I, I can live with it. And, and those two have shown they can play together as wingers, Hornquist and, and Sherry. Sherry, how, it's got to be Sherry. When it, when it was Sherry, yeah. he was productive. When it was Sherry, it went away. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't hate the thought of bringing him back at all. He's still relatively young. Like you said, he knows the system. He knows the lineup. He knows the coaching staff and management really well. And... I, it just it feels like in Buffalo he's been square peg round hole and I don't think a lot of it is on him as a player I just think he there was an element of of comfort in Pittsburgh for him and keeping that level of comfort helps him as a player and he's a he's a good utility forward to have because he can pretty much play in Sullivan's system on any line, whether it's up with Sid or down on the fourth line and be maybe not the most productive on the score sheet, but doing things that 
even though you said he doesn't want you know those bottom six lines to be grinded grinded out defense first the kind of line that can go out have a strong shift and then your next shift you come back with a Crosby line or a Malkin line and that team's worn down and it opens up way more scoring opportunities for that line yeah yeah 100 percent um and it you know I was kind of uh, for a long time Pat married to keeping that Bluger line together, but now you know, with the loss of Zach Aston Reese, you have no choice but to break it up. Um, so that you know creates a little bit of an interesting element too, because Bluger and Tanev are still really good together. So you find the right element, you know, to be the little uh, the cocktail stick that stirs the drink. There, you can, um, you know, that could be another. That could be again another line that Sullivan has in his back pocket that he could pull out and deploy, you know, super strategically. Right, and I think that is what I was kind of saying about Shiri is that you put him on that line, that line still has speed out the ass and is going to be an incredibly hard line to deal with. They may not be filling the net, but keeping up with that line as an opposition is going to be really, really difficult. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, I wrote about this this week, and I know you were coaching kids this year um, down there in the Badgers. Shout out to them. They they um, keep asking when we're gonna have a new episode. Oh, good. I'm glad they're glad they're listening. Um, I want to ask you a question because uh, Mike Mike Sullivan talked about this. Kind of like was one of the things that helped piece the whole for me, you know, mystery around Brian Russ's production together. Um, Mike Sullivan was talking about panic threshold. I wanted to do this as the uh, coach speak segment of the week. Um, I always say Mike Sullivan's got gems hidden down, you know, within. You know, his nuggets of uh, repetitive um, <laughs> mission statements. Uh, but this week we were talking talking about Brian Rust, and uh, he, he was talking about how Rust is holding on to the puck more, which is what I thought. We've talked about that on the show. Um, and he said he's his panic threshold is really high right now. Uh, I loved that quote because uh, for me, a player with a low panic threshold just gets rid of the puck right away, Right. And we've all either like been in that situation ourselves or like coached people, try to coach people through that. So I guess that's a question, Pat, right? Like I remember uh, when I was coaching years ago, the point I would try to make was I would just stop practice when somebody made a decision with their head down. Like if they were in a position where they were clearly had time and space to do something and they didn't do it, play it, just whistle it dead and then stop and point out to them how much time and space they had. Um, is that a coachable thing though, right? Like how do you coach it? Can you coach it? Um, and how much better can holding onto the puck more make a player? It's really tough to coach because it's an instinctive type thing. Either you have it or you don't, which isn't to say that you can't improve on it because you think about it. We always talk about how hockey is this fast-paced, unpredictable, chaotic game, right? Like one like, you know, one stick placement this way can completely impact the outcome of a game. One puck off of a leg can mean that your team wins or loses. The thing that I I always tried to coach through with my team this year was, you know, I ran a similar breakout to what the Penguins do where you come up the ice with numbers, right? Like like in the ideal world, the defense pass, the defenseman passes to the winger on the boards. The center swings through. He gets a pass. You have your weak side winger cutting all the way across up the wall. And then the winger who gets the initial pass from the defenseman cuts across the other way. 
So you're coming up basically on a two-on-one or a three-on-two, right? Mm. The thing that is tough is when you're the winger in that position, your instinct your instinct is that defenseman on the point is going to come down and pressure me. So I need to make that pass as soon as possible rather than pick my head up, take a look, see if I have room, can I skate it, can I pass it, should I reverse it back to the defenseman to start this all over again. So what Rust has done this year is impressive because it's an instinctive thing of thinking that you don't have as much time with the puck as you actually do. And the thing you have to just continually repeat to players is pick your head up, take a breath, take a look. And that's what Russ is doing. He's, he's seeing that, okay, so maybe I have five, 10 more feet that I can skate, or maybe there's not somebody that can get to me on the breakout in the next four or five strides. So I can take a little extra time to make a good pass or skate the puck myself. So it's a good, it's a really good line by Sullivan to say that his panic threshold is low because that actually nails it. He's not making snap decisions with the puck. It's not like, like you wrote in the story. It's not this pucks on my stick. I got to get rid of it. Pucks on my stick. I got to get rid of it. Pucks on his stick. And then he makes a better decision, which is something that happens through time and repetition and really experience because you know, the one thing I told my team a lot, and I I, I uh, leaned on my defensemen to kind of get this through to my forwards, was I said, you know, if we're running a forecheck where you dump the puck in, chase it down, throw the body on the defenseman, after that happens five, six times as a defenseman, you're going to think twice about what you're going to do with the puck. Because in your mind, you're like, Man, I'm gonna get hit. Man, every, yeah, every time I'm in this corner, I have been hit. You, if you want to see that happen in the NHL, watch uh, 2009 era Mike Green. Right. <laughs> and seriously, what I, I mean, he get hit three, four, five, six times in a game, and then the rest of the night he played with alligator arms. He didn't want to get hit anymore. Right. And and the thing I would, the, the thing I'm saying there is, it has to happen through experience. Like you tell these guys, like, hey, how many times do you have the puck on the wall where you just threw it up the boards, and then there was nobody within ten feet of you. Just Mike Sullivan calls those hope plays. Right. Keep that in the back of your head. Remember, like when you get the puck, don't panic with it. You got room. You got time. Take a yeah. look. And I think that's where it came from Brian Rust as the experience started getting there since last season to where he was like, yeah, like when I have the puck, like there's not guys on me right away. So I can take a better look and I can move the puck more efficiently. I, you know, football, you always hear the conversations in football about uh, the, the receiver and the quarterback and the timing between the two, right. And how you know, the route running and, you know, think about a button hook, you know, if quarterback throws the ball too early, it's going to hit smack the receiver in the back. He's not going to be turned around for it. And if he throws the ball too late, the corner is going to intercept it. So there's a very short window in football. It's a little bit easier because the play starts and stops at a very specific time in hockey. It just never ends, right. It just keeps going until the whistle blows. So you constantly have to be redefining those routes and, and, and kind of, you know, reacting to them as they come. And if they're not there, if in, in hockey, those routes are passing lanes, in my opinion. And if those passing lanes aren't there, they probably will be if you wait an extra two seconds, right? You know, if you think about it, if you're cruising up the ice through the offensive zone, you cross the blue line with speed, you're backing that defense up, right? They're facing you. You've got control of the game. So if there's nothing there, 
and maybe you take the puck a little wider, give yourself an extra five feet, give yourself that time to kind of go uncontested into the zone. And then all of a sudden that passing lane, there it is. Um, you, you have to wait though. You have to know when it's coming. Um, and I think the best players, Sidney Crosby, uh, are the ones that can manipulate that down to the microsecond. You know, the Crosby's ability to control the game with puck management is, it's like it, it transcends the game. You know, it's not human, uh, <laughs> his ability to do it without looking even, Pat. Like, right. And, and, um, and, yeah, and, a real, and I think I, my point being, I think just maybe even being in an environment with players like that can help somebody not good at it pick it up over time because they're watching these guys do it. They're on the ice with them probably while they're doing it. Yeah, and 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 away from just the pure talent, the the Penguins breakout. You've written about it before. They they employ one of the most tried and true methods, which is weak side winger. And for those that may not be all that uh, hip f- to the vernacular, f- yeah, is that's the side that where the side of the ice where the puck is not. And what they have that weak side winger do is cut diagonal across the ice through the two defensemen to back them up. And there's a reason it's tried and true because the one of those two defense opposing defensemen have to respect you because if they just ignore you and let you cut through, you have a team like the Penguins with elite passers like Sidney Crosby, he's going to get that through and your guys got to break away from the red line in. So it mm-hmm. gives those players that are running the breakout more time, more space to make a better decision and come up the ice with numbers. Uh, I went down uh, when the Penguins played Toronto, Pat, um, or uh, the, the second Toronto uh, game. I went down to D.C. a little early, and I caught the Caps um, Habs game. I wanted to see it for two reasons. One, to scout the Capitals in person, and two, I figured it might be one of the last times I ever had a chance to see Ilya Kovalchuk in person because you don't know where he's going to get traded, and it's like the end of an era type thing. So, um you know, you mentioned the Penguins drive that weak side winger up the ice to make the defense respect them. Do you know what the difference between the Penguins and the Capitals is? I haven't watched many Caps Capitals. games, so break it down for me, Jesse. I'll tell you what, Mike. I'll tell you what, Pat. The, the Caps do the same thing, but they don't do it organically. They just stick that guy up there. So He's just up there all the time. That weak side winger doesn't, like, progress up the ice with the breakout or maybe even two, three steps ahead of the breakout, Right. They just plant him up there. So, so he's just there all the time. So really, like, you don't, don't need two defensemen back there to respect one player. You really only need one, right? So now the, the opposing team, in this case Montreal, has one whole-ass extra defenseman to put over to disrupt your breakout. So now your two forwards that are carrying the puck up the ice together got to go through two forwards and a defenseman because you're not dumb, you're dummying your guy up there for your weak side winger, all the way up at the blue line, before the plays even started. He's up there. The defenseman still got the puck and he's up there. That's not a real threat, you know. That's that's not like a serious thing for an NHL team to respect. And I just all night long I kept watching that, thinking like, wow, like way to break the puck out of the zone every time with four guys. Yeah, they're essentially running it as a power play breakout where the guy's a decoy and a safety valve, to, or not even that more just so that you can give the breakout more room and he's never an actual real option. Like you're never going to pass to that guy all the way on the far blue line just because it's an unrealistic pass. And even if you get it to him, he's already outnumbered. Yeah. So look for that on Sunday. 
Um, speaking of, <laughs> uh, uh, well, we should mention too, before we move on, Dominic Cahoon, um, that is the one uh, annoying part about this whole thing is the injury bug has not gone away. Um, and as soon as he comes back, he goes right back to a day-to-day status. Day-to-day, Pat, being obviously much better than um, anything else. Well, yeah, the, the, <laughs> any alternative the, would have been bad. The shot he took, like that could have that could have eas- oh, that could have easily been um that could have broken. Yeah, bone. that could have been Benino in the 17 final where he just busts his leg. Yep, hundred percent. We just saw it the other night. Uh who was it that took one and got hurt and broke one? Uh their foot. Damn it. I just watched it happen the other night. Eh, I don't remember. It happened again the other night to somebody else's defenseman and it just got whacked. Uh and had to be had to, couldn't get off under their own parts. It happens all the time. I mean, you wouldn't be shocked if that was the case because you see it constantly. Um, so we'll find out, you know, more about his status. The Penguins are going into a back uh, home and home here, not a home and home. Um, they're on. Well, it's two different teams is what I'm trying to get back to back games. God damn it, Sabers uh, today at one o'clock, uh, and then uh, Caps. That's the big one, man. Tomorrow uh, noon. Uh, big NBC Sunday prime timer um, battle for the Metro battle for the Metro man. Like I, uh, it's crazy, you know, back December, well, it was before Christmas. So it was like December 15th. The Penguins are 13 points uh, behind the Capitals. They did not have Sidney Crosby in the lineup. Um, you know, you, you did, I don't think anybody really would have probably expected them to be uh, in this situation um, that they're in right now. Um, but here they are. Um, tied right now for the lead uh, in the Metro with um, a game in hand, um, uh, which is a good spot to be in. Uh, and, you know, look, at the end of the day, guy, you know, here's the thing, Pat. They're not – the Caps aren't getting back Brian Dumoulin and John Marino. No. You know, they've traded for Brandon Dillon, who's a good player, uh, and that's really going to help their team out. Um, but the Penguins' additions that they're going to get – uh, down the stretch, make them a real nightmare. No, Dylan, Dylan's so. a good addition for their defensive depth, but I just it, it's. But they're they're already really good. So I mean, I don't want to downplay it. Like, oh, they got Brendan Dylan, LOL. Like that that's a good addition for their defense to make it a little deeper. No, no, yeah. I, I mean, he's a really good player, and he looked fine uh, in his debut. Uh, he was playing with John Carlson on the top line. Um. So uh, I will say though, man, like. There are a lot of people in Pittsburgh are like uh, a little concerned about the Penguins' defensive regression, and there's been some ugly spots. And you know, Mike Sullivan was pretty stern with them the other night. But having watched that game against Montreal in person, Pat, like I don't know that the Penguins have anywhere near the level of problems that the Capitals do. Like I, they don't, they were not effective in any of the three zones. Uh, they got a power play goal in the second period put them up two to one. The third goal they scored that tied the game inside of the final 30 seconds was just the most bizarre puck uh, you'd ever, but Carey Price was like a victim of circumstance. Um, and then they just got taken to school in overtime. So it, 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 the whole time you just, you know, you never got the sense that anybody in, it, you know, in Washington was comfortable with what was happening from the time that game started to the time it ended. Uh, and, you know, I know the Penguins, the Penguin situation for me was way different, Pat, because they were on the road in Toronto the day after they just got called out by every single person in the country for playing the worst game they've had all year long, backs against the wall, have to win. Um, it was a different situation. And the Peng- I'm not here to excuse the Penguins. They weren't good. They weren't good. But if I, I watch that Penguin game the next day, in the morning, 
I watched the Capitals game the night before. They are fundamentally different issues. There's just, it's not the same thing. Yeah. And, and like you said, an entire essentially country had called out Toronto, <laughs> right? You're right. Yeah. But, I said city. You're right. It's the whole country. But, but, but yeah. here's the thing you had to expect some kind of pushback from Toronto simply because of the fact that they're going to lose games. It's an 82 game season. You are never, ever, 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 ever going to go 82 and 0. Yeah. But the fact that they got beaten and embarrassed as badly as they did by the Penguins, you knew there was going to be pushback because here's the thing. Because it's Toronto and everything they do gets put under a microscope, everybody wants to treat it like because they're not winning every game 8 nothing and sleepwalking their way to a Stanley Cup, everything gets put to a level of – gets put to 10. It's, it's always either plan the parade or burn it the fuck down with Toronto. <laughs> and yeah. the, the, the thing that made me wince before that game – was that it wasn't the usual cast of characters saying like everybody on Toronto's bad and they they need to fire Dubis and and launch Keith into the sun and trade Nylander and Kapanen and Matthews and start it all over. It was the fact that some of their role players, their um, uh, what's the one defenseman? I just forgot his name. They played for LA. They traded for him. Oh, Jake Muzzin. Muzzin basically was like, we have to respond. This is not a good effort. Uh, Freddie Anderson basically said the same thing. Keith said it. Like when those, when guys like that start speaking up and saying, we need a response, that's when you know that team is going to have a response. 100%. Yeah. And again, don't lose sight of the back against the wall mentality for them. And I'm just going to add the Penguins had a touch of first place syndrome. Well, more, more so for Toronto. The way the playoff picture is shaping in the East, to get in from the Atlantic Division, you're going to have to finish in the top three. You have to. Um, right? Because right now Florida is at 70 points, um, and you still have Columbus and the Islanders at 73 and 74, respectively. Um, I don't like the direction that Florida is headed at all. Um, I think it might be likely the Rangers actually catching past them. But but there, um, there is a legitimate chance that five teams from the Metro are going to make the the playoffs and yeah. and and when you think about like the Leafs aren't going to catch Toronto or Boston maybe one of them if one of the, those two have an absolute collapse down the stretch which I don't see happening so you have they're battling with like four other teams for one spot so they have to they have to giddy up and go and it's not because they're bad it's because Tampa and Boston are that good. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, We've spent a lot of time talking about the Penguins. um, So we'll spend a limited time talking about the rest of the NHL. Uh, Just some notes here uh, real quick. We mentioned Sabres today, Caps noon tomorrow. Um, We'll record in between there because then there's a West Coast swing coming up with three extremely winnable games in L.A., Anaheim, and San Jose. Stockpiling. Uh, a six of six there would be massive at this point in the season. I mean, I expect four out of six. They're they're set your watch to they can they always find a way to lay a turd in one of the three West Coast oh, yeah, swing no, games. Right. They yeah. always do. Six of six would be great, it. and they it should happen considering where those three teams are as 
franchises right now. I but, can see it being San Jose, Pat. Well, San Jose, I can see it being San. Jose. And the the bones are still there for a lot of good players on San Jose, despite them having a nightmare of a season. Yeah. Well, you have the John Gibson's flu in Anaheim, where he just can't play well against Pittsburgh at all. No. <laughs> Um, and I think the Penguins' speed is a real problem for the Kings is currently constructed. When you can see uh, San Jose can skate, they can skate though. When you can see LA is that they've accepted they got to tear it the hell down and start rebuilding. They're they're selling everybody off. Yeah, right. Um, some things around the league though. Uh, prices are high. Um, you consider what the Penguins traded for Jake Zucker or Jason Jake Zucker. My God, listen to that. Woo! Freudian slip, folks. Jason Zucker. Uh, here's some things to consider. Uh, Las Vegas added Alec Martinez, a defenseman I actually really like, uh, for a 2020 uh, and a 2021 second-round pick. I disagree with you. I think Martinez yeah. is cooked. Um, you know, I you may be you probably be better to speak to that than I. But I'm probably thinking of like a nostalgic view of Alec Martinez. I mean, I I, I, um, I I don't think he's as bad as many people are making him out to be, but I don't think he's worth two second-round picks. That's what I'm getting at. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Uh, Brendan Dillon, uh, you had a 2020 second round and a 2021 conditional third, which is actually a pretty pretty good deal. Um, Boston got Andre Kasha yesterday for David Backus, Backus, Axel Anderson, and a 2020 first round pick. That one was steep. But David Backus, though, you're just trying to get rid of the money. I mean, getting rid of that deal is, um, you know, important. I think Axel Anderson's a good prospect. I'd put him like a B. Um, and, and then a first round pick. And, and, uh, if, and then Blake Coleman. It frees up cap yeah. space for. Uh, Boston, yeah, Boston to try to re-sign some of their guys. They're going to be off the books in the next couple of years, so that's important. And Backus was a real deterrent to that. Uh, and then Tampa got better. Uh, went out and got Blake Coleman. Stop uh, helping them, Tampa. Yeah, that that cost them Nolan Foot in a conditional first. Um, so uh, I think we're going to have a relatively dull trade deadline. This is going to be boring again. Um, there'll be a lot of. Sc- the most entertaining part of the trade deadline is going to be watching them try to fill all the dead studio time. <laughs> That's always my most exciting thing is like, how is TSN going to try to pass all the time? They haven't, then they end up having like a 17 minute segment on Riley Barber. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or something like that. Just but, have a feature, um, a feature on some fourth liner you've never heard of. Like he grew yeah. up watching the Vegas. Wait, no, he didn't shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike's not here. Pat, so you're in charge of delivering the messages from the people today. And I'm in charge of dropping the beats, so let's do that. All right, with Mike's absence, uh, just a show, a show of solidarity. Printed out the correspondences, so let me get yeah, my, waste the tree. Get those pa- that paper ruffle in here. Yeah, uh, make sure you waste water too with all your ice. <laughs> make sure you use extra ice in all your drinks. Well, Nine thirty a.m. Got to have some coffee here. All right, our first question comes from at Roop PSU. Doesn't correspondence connote two way communication? Hashtag sound of one hand clapping. No, because we're answering questions. Yeah. I think why are we missing that point? Like this, that's that's what makes it a correspondence is that we're getting asked questions. Then yeah, that's what I was gonna say. We're we're answering the questions here. That's why it's a correspondence. If we were a terrible, call, <laughs> at O'Leary C five asks, and we kind of went over this, but uh, we can get into it a little bit more. If Gensel comes back in time, does he replace Zucker on the first line with Sid? Join Zucker on the first line with Sid or reunite with Rust and Gino. 
yeah, to be determined for me. I think you have to let the the current partnership grow a little bit more before you figure out uh, whether or not that's uh, going to happen or not. And, I mean, it's trending in a good direction, though. And, and it may be a little bit of a cop-out here, but all of those options I don't think are bad in any way. Like, I think all of those work in some way. Yeah, I agree. You make a super line with Sid, Zucker, Gensel... You give Zucker to Malkin and see if that works, or you give Gensel to Malkin, and we've seen that work. So I don't think there's really a bad option to be had there. Yeah. At Beastmite7 asks, another Pittsburgh quandary. Do you rock out harder to Alia or love is like a rock? Um, I'm a tried and true Alia supporter. I'm, you know, if we're going Donny Iris, that's that's the direction I'm taking it. If I have to choose of the two, I'm going with Alia, but I'm going off the board here. Third option, cigarette by the Clarks. You can keep that one. Hey, I like the I like the Clarks for what they are. They may be a not just the local thing, but as far as like garage type bands go, they're not half bad. At based underscore yeah, if that's what go ahead, go ahead. Okay, no, that's it. At based underscore otter. Can you see Murray being on a team that's not Pittsburgh next year? If so, where? No. I think um, the coach really likes the fact that there are two really good goalies playing their lights out right now. Um, They just like that too much. This is like everything they've ever wanted. It'll probably get destroyed by Seattle. But until that time comes, I expect them to continue to reap the fruits of this. Yeah, and I can also see them kind of saying to Murray's camp, like, hey, we've seen it now for a few years. This guy plays at his best when he's theoretically got somebody behind him that could take his job. So if you really want him to thrive, give you three, four years, see how he does, and then if you want to go get paid, go get paid. Yeah. At Augea asks, favorite cartoon character of all time? Really tough one. Really tough one. I got reminded of a great Dark Horse uh, cartoon from back in the day last weekend, and it's up there for me, Animaniacs. That was a great show. Yeah, mine's, uh, mine's Aqua Teen. Aqua Teen's good, good answer. I like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, my favorite, I think my favorite ep- episode of any cartoon ever is the Aqua Teen episode featuring the cybernetic ghost of Christmas past from the future. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Christmas special from a long time ago where uh, Carl's house, it turns out, is built on an elven burial ground. And um, Santa Claus was actually an ape who um, ensl- enslaved basically a large race of, of elves to make his cruel toys, which were initially built to be hurled at predators and defecated upon. <laughs> Um, so Danzig and so Carl's house starts bleeding and he moves out and Danzig moves in and that's how the episode ends. (laughs) I think one of my favorite cartoon duos is later on in Family Guy when they started making Stewie and Brian friends. Like anytime they had an episode surrounding those two was always hilarious. It was always good, yeah. Jeff, not Jeff from the Pens blog. What were your worst hockey takes that you were serious about at the time? Dude, I, uh, I was like, I've always been really into the draft and the prospect stuff, and I was one hundred and ten percent all aboard that Casey Pierre Zabatel was going to be like a sixty-point player in the in the NHL. 
Yeah, in a similar manner, I was a gigantic stand for Eric Tangrady, and we all see how that worked yeah. out. Yeah. Blaze Wide asks, will John Marino come back to the lineup with a pirate scar? I don't think so. That would be cool. Um, I don't think so. This is more of an internal thing. Uh, I don't think we're going to see any visible um, villain-like additions to his face. I was kind of hoping we would to be badass, but I don't think he will either. I might be wrong, though, too, so we'll see. Stay tuned. But my initial leanings are no. Corey Arnold asks, what do you think they will call the Seattle hockey team? I don't know. I'm hoping it's Kraken, though. Yeah, Kraken would kick ass. Uh, I wouldn't mind them going back old school and making them the Metropolitan again, but considering you already, but there's a yeah, right. considering you already have a and division then, called that. I think a number two option for me would be Sockeyes. Sockeyes would be really good. Like that's a do- yeah. and, and my main hope for them. I don't care what the name is. Just come on, guys. Like let's have a creative color scheme here for once. Like let's get away from the primaries. Yeah. A few people have asked this, so I kind of combined it into one question. Uh, is Justin Schultz actually bad, a liability, and can he be sheltered? Yeah, he, we know we know the answer to that question is yes, because we've seen it. Uh, we've seen it you know, really in his early uh, er, early tenure results with the team. Um, that's where you know I think he was at his best and where he earned his contracts. Um, right now, uh, he's, that elevated role is really a killer. It's just not good at handling it. Uh, I think he sometimes tries to do a little bit too much with it. Um, yeah, it's his results are, are not at a league average level right now, and that's problematic. Yeah, the elevated rule thing for me is where the, the issue is. I, I don't think he's equipped to handle an elevated role. I think when he's on a second or third pairing and sheltered a little bit, he's incredibly effective, but kind of making him one of your horses on the back end. He's just, that's not the type of player he is. What it's, it's proven to be less, it's proven to be the least fruitful way to do, to get anything out of him. Agreed. And we'll end with this. Cause I think it's a good way to end today's episode considering it's been written about recently. Zach T asks, has the Yager hatred blown over in Pittsburgh and should they parenthesis of course, and parenthesis retire his number next year? Well, I don't know about next year. I mean, I, I think a lot of it – I don't know that there's a time – I'm not putting a time frame on it. I mean, the answer is yes, and I think it's going to happen. Um, I think the angst part is gone. I know you know, I, 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 I struggle to find it anymore, really, to be honest with you, um, maybe in little bizarro pockets of the world. But um, I think it's going to happen. I, just, I don't think you can definitively say it's going to be next year. Yeah, I think the angst has blown over completely. I don't think anybody in their right mind dislikes Yager anymore because you can't because of one how much of a legend he became, like for how long he played and how often he was still right. doing things at a high level. And what really turned my angst against him fully back to a place of endearment was when the Penguins had their 50th anniversary documentary come out and it reminded me of that early 2000s series where basically if they lost in the first round, that was it for the Penguins, period. And the team itself. Yeah, period. There, yeah. Like it wasn't you end of a, the season. Get a groin issue. It was going to be end of the se- end of the franchise as we knew it and moved, bankrupt, gone out of the city. And he comes out on basically a torn groin and ties the game and wins it in overtime to force a game seven. 
they go out and win game seven against the Devils and go on to the second the round. one seed in the East, by the way. What? The Devils were the number one yeah. seed in the East and the Penguins were eight. By yeah, the they had absolutely no business beating that Devils team in 2000. They do. And essentially, Yarmir Yager put the entire franchise on his back and kept them in Pittsburgh. So the corn growing. I, I, my hatred for him has been long gone and 68 needs to be hanging from the rafters as soon as possible. It's a heck of a way to end the show, Patrick. I like to think so. Um, we'll be back very soon. Talk about these games this weekend. Um, got a good Brian Russ piece up on the athletic. Uh, again, we referenced it today. Just trying to figure out what the secret sauce is. His success. Uh, anything you'd like to plug over there, Pat? We're still chugging along at the Pens blog. I mean, uh, Rad's been doing a hell of a job getting the recaps up. Got uh, Rez still firing out the weekend game day, which is always worth your read. And I know Jeff has a few things in the in the chamber right now he's getting ready to throw out there. So a lot of good stuff coming there. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate it. We will be back to chat more hockey. See you guys. See you guys.